been dealing with, uh, and we've been studying, 10 gap-closing words. Words that when you put them into action will help heal those broken and damaged gap areas in the relationships in our lives. So that, that doesn't matter if we're talking about the relationship between you and a parent or you and your spouse or your significant other or we're dealing with a, a relationship with your boss or with a coworker, or with a friend or somebody who is supposed to be a friend. In all of those areas, we're, lo- we're looking at and we're studying how to employ these gap-closing words. Uh, and can I be completely honest with you today that um, there's a part of me that doesn't want to teach this because I'm not sure if I'm living this yet. Uh, matter of fact, when I read the, the, the verses that Jesus led me to this week, I told him, give me something else. Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, listen, it's not that it cannot be done because of what, how they're acting. I don't want to do it. Don't act like I'm the only one. Y'all getting brand new on me up in here. Don't act like there's some stuff that you know Jesus has said. And you know it's right. But you're looking at them. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about how to, in the, the word that we're dealing with today is this idea of love. And how to inject love into conflict. I'm going to start with the part that I don't like. And then work my way backwards to how it's supposed to work. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. He says, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I can do that part. Let me just pause right here and say that one I got. And in actuality, what was happening is there was an Old Testament text that God said very clearly to his people, the Jews, love your, love your neighbor. The Jewish people came along behind. The Jewish people came along later. And in their commentary on what the law says, if God says love your neighbor, that must mean you have to hate your enemy. And so Jesus is dealing with that bad theology. That you and I have currently right now. Because Jesus flips the script in verse 44. He says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's where it got tight for me right there, I'll be honest with you. He says, verse 45, because in that way, when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who do you wrong, he says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If, watch this, if you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even... Even the heathens and the thugs and the gangsters do that part. If you're only kind to your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. Then he says, 
but you are to be perfect, not in the sense of no wrong, but mature. You're supposed to be more grown up, even as your father in heaven is complete and mature. See, my problem is, is that Jesus raises the stakes for those of us that claim that we want to be part of the kingdom's ethos. When, if, if you're ready to go beyond just being a churchgoer and having a churchanity, and you really want to be a part of the kingdom of God, that, op, that you operate as a son or daughter of the king of kings and the lord of lords, if that's your goal, here's the problem. He just changed the game. He flipped it in verse 44 and in verse 48. It's, it's no longer operating by this eye for an eye kind of a thing. You do right by me, we good. You trip, then you're going to make, make the other side of me come out. You can say, watch this, you can say that if all you want to do is to go and be a part of the church. But if you want to operate in purpose in life, and be a part of God's assignment on your life in the time in earth and operating for him in the kingdom of God, you got to be better than that. The, watch this. His point of comparison, watch this. It isn't comparing yourself now to another human, being better than any other human. The point of comparison in how you deal with people you are in conflict with is now how does God treat people that are in conflict with him? That's my problem right there. Because he says it in, the, in, verse, in verse 45, he talks about how he, he doesn't care how you act. He is gracious commonly to everybody. He gives everybody stuff they don't deserve. Because in my mind, when you, when you consistently lie in the media and talk noise and want to be president who is a king, you should be caught. You should pay for that. But God is so gracious, he lets things slide to everybody, even the ones that don't deserve it. And now Jesus says that standard applies to me and you and those that we are in conflict with. That's a problem for me. Okay, let me take it another level. I don't care what you say about me, but when you talk about my wife, when you hurt my babies, you, I got to kill you at that point. You know what I mean? I, at some point, where's the line, right? Notice Jesus never qualifies what the line is. He says the comparison is how the father treats those who hate him. You know, sometimes it, I, I tell God all the time, don't, don't test me because I'm only about a C student. And you know, when you a C student, you might get that one pop quiz that you just... And the seed could easily slide to failure. You know what I'm saying? Like, but watch this. When we inject biblical love into conflict, it brings the kingdom's power to bear 
on broken things and broken people. Listen to that statement very carefully. Injecting biblical love, what the Bible defines as love, not the feelings that we define it. Because if I'm only injecting my ability to feel kind toward you and you're my enemy, I'm never going to feel kind. And so I'm going to rationalize because I don't feel it. I don't have to love. But he's asking us to inject biblical love into conflict. Because when we do that, now the kingdom's power comes into the midst of that broken relationship. And now God gets to work doing stuff that we couldn't do or say on our own. But here's the problem. Biblical love is a matter of choice. It's not a feeling. It's you, ha you have to choose to do it. You have to make up in your decision, moment by moment, reaction by reaction, every time they trip, you have to make the choice to act lovingly according to the biblical standard. Because, watch this. Just because you act loving one time doesn't mean they change. Doesn't mean the stuff stops. No, watch this, nor does it mean, listen, nor does it mean that because you act biblically, they will too. They might still win. They might still get over on you. Because watch this, biblical love is a weapon that isn't about winning. Well, pastor, what is biblical love? My best understanding of 1 Corinthians 13, I had a professor who, who distilled it down to one sentence. Y'all know it. Here it is. Love is the giving of all that one is, has, and does for the positive benefit of somebody else while expecting nothing in return. God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave everything that he was, everything that he had, and he still lets us choose not to choose him. And my challenge is that kind of love releases the power of the kingdom to fix brokenness, but it does not mean it fixes the problem. And do I trust God enough to have my back in order to be loving? But now let, let me also say this. Biblical love is not just the giving of all that one is, has, and does for the positive benefit of another, expecting nothing in return. But it also is a love that has to be discerning. It's not this naive, unthinking, open to anything and anybody kind of love. Right? Because it, it, it's dangerous to try to love that kind of way and go through life. <laughs> okay, let me see if I say it like this. Um, Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say, like your enemies. Okay. Th there, there's our out, right? There it is. Uh, he's, it, because liking something is more natural than loving. 
I can like ice cream because of how it tastes. I don't love it because of what it does. I could have got two and a half amens right up down through there. We're not called upon to like everybody because we can't do that. But we're asked to do the harder thing. To do, watch this, to do what's best for them. So that, that means then I can't just give that to everybody. I can't be open to, to just letting anybody have access to that kind of power. It's, it's interesting that when you, when you go through scripture, we're told to love God. We're told to love our families, especially our spouses. And we're told to love our enemies. We're not told to love our friends. We're not, we're not told to love all of our relatives. The ones that deserve love are the ones that it's harder to love. <laughs> so, Pastor, how in the world can this work? I'm glad you asked. Let's get to the meat of this. Let's try to figure out how to do this for ourselves. Let me give you a story and example. Now, in this example, the word love is never mentioned. But the protagonist in the story acts lovingly toward one, watch this, who's literally trying to kill him. So check out this story in 1 Samuel 24, beginning at verse 1. Y'all don't laugh because I need reading glasses now. See, if I do this, I have to read it in tongues. With this, I have clarity from the Spirit. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness, when you see wilderness, see desert, of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Now, I, I told y'all a little while ago, I got to see that. that. That literally is En Gedi. There's a spring that comes literally out of the mountains, and there's this narrow strip of fresh water where there's some greenery, but all around there's this desert and these rocks. And these rocks are full of holes and caves through the whole place. So while there's an opportunity to be refreshed, you can only be refreshed if you can live out in the open. If somebody's looking for you, it's a great place to hide, but you have to decide whether to hide or whether to be refreshed. And it's in this place that the Bible says, now at the place, verse 3, where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into one of these caves to relieve himself. Amen. Sometimes you feel the moving and it ain't got nothing to do with the spirit. But as it happened, that very same cave, Dave and his boys were hiding further back in the cave. And David's men said, now's your opportunity. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power. Do with him as you wish. So David creeps forward and cuts off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Watch this. Saul is coming out, not, not, to, not to be angry with, not to put a bad post on Facebook 
on David, he's brought 3,000 soldiers to make sure they kill him. Now, I know some of y'all have been saved all your life, but for the three or four folks that know what it's like to run from the cops and from folks that want to take you down, you, you know the certain adrenaline that comes. See, some of y'all, ain't, this ain't your testimony. Praise God. Um, but there are some of us, including the pastor, that know what it's like to be 100 miles and running. Amen. Uh, and when they're after you, There's this certain sense in which you know if you make the right move, you could end this. So even as they're coming after you, you're always looking for the out to end this. Saul brings 3,000 troops. In the middle of it, he's by himself. No bodyguards. Nobody's around. And he happens to come to the very same cave. Dave and the boys are waiting there with their weapons. And his fellas say, amen, this is what you've been praying for. God has delivered him into your hands. And I don't know what all Saul was dealing with, but he was so engaged in the business at hand, uh, he didn't notice David creeping forward and cutting off a piece of his robe. Now... Using this story of this relational conflict, I want to give you some principles for how to inject biblical love into some relational gaps with the prayer that you and I would trust God enough to try these. All right? Are you ready? Notice what happens. My my first principle is this, that if you're going to inject love into a relational conflict, as this thing has has heated up between the two of you, whoever it might be... um, I would suggest to you from this story, don't go as far as you could go. I I tell this to to, to married couples. We do it in premarital counseling all the time. You got to learn how to pull your punches. You don't fight for the win. You fight for the understanding. You don't go for the jugular. You don't try to take them out. Don't go as far as you could go. Look what happens in verse 5. David cuts off this piece of the robe, but the Bible says, but then David's conscience began to bother him just because he had cut off a piece of the robe. Does it bother you when you get over on them? Or do you think, see, that's why you don't mess with me. He says to himself in verse 6, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done this to my Lord the King. He says, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen Saul. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. He had the opportunity to go for the kill. But he chose not to go as far as he could. He he felt bad. Watch this. If I'm going to love like God loves, I have to feel bad when I have the advantage. Because the natural side of me wants to use the advantage for the win. God wants us to see that advantage and know when to pull back. Because if I press the advantage, I'm operating in my flesh. 
and not according to the Spirit of God. First Peter, First Peter chapter four verse eight says that love covers a multitude of sins. You know what they did. You know how they did it. You know how they talked about it to other folks. But if I'm going to give biblical love, I've got to let God's love cover all that sin and not go as far as I could. I have to learn how to pull my punches. And I have to not press the advantage by the flesh. Watch this. Even if what is told to me is that God gave you the advantage. I'm impressed with God that he never uses his advantage for our disadvantage. That God showed, he demonstrated his love in this. That while we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. When he had the advantage, when my sin had me caught, rather than beating me down because I was caught, he stepped into the sin with me. I, I anticipate it's going to get even harder from here. So I don't expect a whole lot of amen, so I'm just going to say my little Easter speech, and I'm going to sat down. All right? Because watch this. The, the Bible keeps going. At the end of verse 7, Saul leaves the cave. He's headed on his way. David comes out and shouts after him, my lord the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before the guy who was trying to kill him. And he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. The Lord placed you at my mercy back in the cave. And my men even told me to kill you. But I spared you. For I said I will never harm the king. He's the Lord's anointed one. He didn't go as far as he could go. Because he saw a higher purpose from God. In letting God fight the battles rather than him winning the battle. Look what happens in verse 11. He says, look, my father, look at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm trying not to harm you. And that I've not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. This tells me the second thing is not only do we, do we not go as far as we could go, but secondly... We have to break the cycle with some kind of act of love or respect or kindness. If we're going to inject biblical love into conflict, we've got to break the cycle of the back and forth by us deciding to show some act of respect or kindness or love to them. We have to do something, listen, that will, that will hurt us and put them back at the advantage. I told you I didn't expect a whole bunch of amens after this point. I get it. I get it. But remember what we're after is kingdom power, not winning an argument. Because what happens in that place is when I break that cycle and I do something to show that I have love or concern or respect for the one who I am in conflict with. Now, what it, it seems like from the natural, I've just done a stupid thing and put them back in, in the advantage. But what they don't know is it's now allowed God to step in and do something that they won't be able to fight. So, listen, 
married couples, people you booed up with somebody, your significant other, break the cycle of back and forth arguing and do something to show I love you. Pastor, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. You don't, you don't understand who I'm dealing with. I, listen, I, I told you I'm already there. I get it. But at some point in your leisure, check out what Romans 12, verses 19 through 21 says. It talks about, in verse 19, not taking revenge because revenge isn't ours to take. If we are believers, vengeance belongs to our God. So we don't fight for the win. He does the fighting for us. But then verse 20 says, and, and, and this is amazing. He says, when your enemies are hungry, feed them. They're thirsty, give them something to drink. Because what happens is, and when, I, when I break that cycle by showing some act of love or kindness or respect, it's the same thing in the spirit. God takes a, a pile of burning coals from the grill and places it on top of their head. They, they are burned and shamed. They may not ever tell you, but they feel some kind of way when they recognize that you have done right by them when they've done nothing wrong but toward you. Now, the power of God, watch this, to fix from the inside. You and I can only fight in the flesh. We can only fight what we see. But when we break that cycle and when we show that act of love or kindness, now God steps into their heart and says, see, look at you and your raggedy mess. Look at how you do people. And you don't watch this. You could never say that yourself because they would come back with something that you did in the argument. Don't act like I'm the only one. You ever been in that argument that you're not really listening? You're just waiting for the place to jump in? Like double dutch where you want to show out. Well, let me tell you what you did. When I, when I decide I'm done with that. And break that cycle. And instead show love. Show some act of kindness. Do something. Sacrifice myself. In that moment. God says now I get to work. Now I get to do stuff in them. That, that your argument can never do. Because he ends that passage in Romans saying, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Y'all saying amen, but y'all pray for me. <laughs> Number three. The third thing that I see David does in this passage is he decides not to continue the conflict from his side. He can't fix Saul. But as far as he's concerned, I'm not fighting with you. I'm not going there with you. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, as that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure. You've seen that I'm doing good. So you can be sure I'm not here to harm you. I'm not going there with you. I'm not playing this game with you. Do whatever you want to do. I'm done. You're not going to have to watch your back around me because I'm not here to get you. And then watch this. It's, it's not just that because from your side, you've got to decide, I'm not doing this. I'm not going there with you. But then that also means you need to watch out for those who have your back, who's still going to be talking noise for you. 
Don't act like I'm making it. It's right there. Verse 9, he says to Saul, why are you listening to people that's telling you I'm trying to harm you? There's other folks around the conflict. Oh, if if that was me, what I would have said was, now that gets back to the person, well, he's still mad at you. I told you. I'm done. And all of y'all, y'all need to be quiet. We're done. I'm not letting my Facebook friends say nothing else. I'm not letting my relatives say nothing else. My, My prayer partner, really it's just gossip on the phone. My prayer partner, we done. As far as my side is concerned, we're not going to do any more fighting. We're not going to do anything that will harm you. Now remember, there's some discernment that's required in that. Because you, you don't bow down and let them run all over you, but you have to set a boundary. And say, when you push those buttons to make me go there, I'm not going to play that game with you. I'm going to catch myself and be like, you know, mm, no, I'm not going to do that. The, the, it, some stuff you got to let slide. Because on your part, you have to decide. I trust God to fight this battle, and I'm not going to do anything to provoke any further conflict. And in the flesh, I'm, I'm telling you now, that's going to look like you're rolling over. It's going to look like you're a chump. But remember, you're basing your responses on a higher power and a different fighting technique. You're playing three-dimensional chess while they're doing checkers. Watch this. He says in verse 15. I like this part. May the Lord therefore judge which one of us is right. And may God punish the guilty one. He's my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. (laughs) He said, I'm not going there with you. I trust God to decide which one is right and which one is wrong. Now, I've just operated in biblical love. So if anybody's going to be wrong, right? When you and I operate in biblical love, it's kind of like I, I used to love watching CSI little crime show movie, and they always catch the person by the DNA that's left at the crime scene, right? Somebody, somebody's fingerprints is on something, and they go to Dustin, and they find, the, and they go, they know now who to talk to, right? When I'm in conflict with somebody, and I operate in biblical love, God comes and wipes my fingerprints off the crime scene. So the only ones that are left are the individual that's still trying to fight. So which one is, is the enemy, is, is God going to come after as the enemy? It's going to be the one whose DNA is left on the fight. He says, I'm trusting God to pick between us as to who's right and who's wrong. I'm, I'm not going to advocate my rightness anymore. It's on God. Because watch this. Our treatment of other people must never depend on what they are or upon what they do to us. Our treatment of people has to be entirely controlled by how God sees them. It's tight, but it's right. Because that means we have to leave what happens in the hands of the Lord. 
leave the state of the relationship in God's hands. You, you have to trust that what you have done to break the cycle and to inject biblical love and to never do anything to harm them and to choose to step out of this thing and let God fight your battles, then you've got to trust God whether they're going to respond to him or not because your part has been done. Listen, somebody missed the best place to shout. When you and I act in biblical love in the midst of conflict, that's all that's required of us. There doesn't have to be another step. There doesn't have to be trying to figure out how to bring them back to the negotiating table and how to get them to stop treating you. That's none of your business. Now you have placed them in the hands of God and now they, they, have, they are subject to whatever God wants to do to them because now they are the ones who are operating unbiblically. You don't have to make them right. You don't have to do nothing else. You don't have to try to, watch this, all you can do at that point is pray for them. And listen, when someone is placed in God's hands and they are guilty, actually the prayer isn't God change them. The, God, the prayer is God be merciful to them. Because now they have to deal with the judgment of messing with one of God's children. When we operate like this, our prayer can be, God, whatever you do, spare their lives. Because now everything is on the table for him to take care of them because you've broken the cycle. And that's great stuff. It's just hard to do.